0: Matthew chapter 4. If you need a Bible and want one, please raise your hand. Uh, We have about five or six. Matthew chapter 4. Just keep your hands raised if you need a Bible. Okay, please rise for the reading of God's word we are in verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 11. Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that um, from and in this Word that we will see, Lord God, what You have to tell us about temptation and about living a life that is pure after You, Lord. I I just pray, Lord, that um, although to many of us these images seem a little strange, that You will just make them very common to us and, and clear to us and, and uh, that you will just open our ears and our eyes and hearts, Lord, to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please, greet one another. Jesus went to the cross. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He walked through the most unimaginable temptation unstained and he did it for you and me. Here in Matthew 4 we see the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. At the end of chapter 3 he is baptized and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now he's ready for ministry. What is his first act of ministry? He retakes what had been lost in the Garden of Eden. The Deception in the Garden of Eden, the first work of Satan. Satan got a little opening. That's all he ever needs, It's just a little. Just a little hunger, little covetousness, a little pride. And he got his opening, and Adam and Eve fell and drew, were drawn into rebellion against God. So here we are in Matthew 4, the first thing Jesus does. And he does it for you and me. He goes and retakes what had been taken. 1 John 3.18 says this, For this purpose, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. There's so much to learn from him about how to handle temptation. Last week we learned that when we are tempted, we should do the same thing that Jesus did when he was tempted. When we're tempted immediately, we should go to God's Word as a point of reference. We should not reason with Satan. We should not reason with him like Eve did who after being tempted she looked back at the fruit and she said oh, isn't that, uh, it's just pleasant to the eyes. Hmm, it's good for food. And then she thought hmm, it'll make me like God. And then she took it and she ate it. We should not reason with temptation. Rather, we should be prompt. We shouldn't hang out and play with temptation. Uh, We, as if we're stronger than it or stronger than Satan, we should uh, leave, flee, and be prompt. Apart from Christ, we are weak. If we stay, if we stray, if we leave the, the, the pasture that the Savior has Marked out for us, and everybody who has given their life to Christ has, has a pasture marked out for them. If we leave that, we go to a place where we're weak, we're vulnerable, and, and we're apt to fall. We left off last week uh, after Jesus responded to the uh, first temptation. Satan had said, if you are the Son of God, this is verse 3, Command that these stones become bread. But Jesus responded, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And before we move on to the second temptation, I, I want to just go over a few things. You know, it says there in verse 2 that Jesus fasted 40 days and, uh, and nights, and, and He was hungry, it says. He was hungry. Now, you should know uh, that this was not the first time that he was hungry. He was hungry all along. I mean, he was like you and me, and after a day of not eating, he was hungry. In in Mark 1.13, it says that Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. In other words, he was tempted all along. What we see here in Matthew 4 was the climax of the temptation. It's when, you know, Satan would just really, really try to, to, to you know, play the cards. And um, all along, throughout, from day one, though, uh, Jesus was being tempta- t- tempted. And, and let me tell you, um, there's a, he, he could have taken comfort in sin at any time. A comfort in sort of breaking the fast. And there is a certain comfort that sin provides. When we are in a season of hardship, when we're in a season of hardship, there's a, there's a comfort that it provides. And, 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 you know, if you're a season where God has you alone, and whether people are around you or not, there, we go through season where we just feel alone, isolated. Sometimes weeks or months go by, we can't stand it. There's a real comfort in just going to a bar or a nightclub. And, and and there's a real comfort in that. And you, you wind up with, with people uh, that you really shouldn't be around and doing things you you really shouldn't do, but uh, there is at least some comfort from the prison that you were in. I remember seven or seven and a half years ago, Stephanie and I lived in Miami, and I felt that um, God was really leading us to come up here to Boston, and so I applied for a job up here, and... Uh, miraculously I I got an interview with the company and uh, I interviewed and it went extremely well and we went back to Miami and I had you know I was all set that this was it and I was really excited and and this was gonna come in and and uh, so I was just waiting by the phone and after a week the phone didn't ring and after two weeks the phone didn't ring and after three weeks the phone didn't ring. And by then, just my heart just had sunk. A- and I was just in, just discouraged. And, and I remember being on a business trip in New York, alone, all by myself in a hotel room. And I was just so discouraged because, you know, I, I just had my heart set on that job up here. And, and uh, I remember uh, starting to think, you know, like Psalm 73 says, the Psalmist says, "Surely I have kept my heart pure in vain." I, and I just said, you know, I just, I just want to get some comfort from this discouragement. Something I just want to, and I was thinking about just fleshing out, doing something just to flesh I was not a good thing when you're alone in New York and discouraged. It's just not a good place to be. And and the thing is, I for a whole half hour, I just laid in my hotel bedroom and. And thinking seriously, seriously about doing something really stupid. And you know something? I was an assistant pastor at a church. I had, oh, God had given me everything. I had a good job. I had a great family. I had everything. But you know something? So did Adam and Eve in the garden, they had everything. So did King David when he stole Bathsheba from Uriah and then had Uriah killed. And then then God came to him and and said, David, I gave you everything. If that wasn't enough, I would have given you more. Why did you despise and go and take what was not yours? Why did you despise me, actually, is what he said. Why did you despise me and take what was not yours? yours. That is what giving into temptation is after God has filled your life with him. It's despising God. Uh, But the problem is this. The eyes of man are never satisfied. So often man loses sight of everything that God has filled his life with and he despises it. He gives into temptation and then when the consequences of sin come uh, come in, sometimes gradually, sometimes like a bolt of lightning, the reality of what happens comes tumbling in followed by sorrow, despair, and misery. But anyway, back to my story, I'm sitting in this hotel room by myself, blinded with self-pity, thinking utter foolishness. I was reasoning with Satan, just like I was teaching you shouldn't do last you know, week, and, and I was just reasoning, uh, thinking these things and unfortunately, by the grace of god and let me tell you it was his actually it was his mercy it was his mercy the lord lifted the veil from my eyes and i realized this was a test and, and i chose to follow god And not give in to that temptation. And I I just really thank God. But, uh, you know, there would have been a temporary comfort if I did. There would have been. There is a comfort when when uh, you've been single longer than you'd like and you just go flesh out for a night. There is a comfort when you've been hurt by someone and hurt and hurt and hurt again to hurt them back. And and there is a comfort if you've had a past of, of drinking or or... Or, or drugs or whatever, and uh, there is a comfort if you find yourself in a season of sorrow to just go binge out for a day. You know, these things, I, I speak from experience. Jesus would have been comfort, comforted if He had relented to His hunger and turned one of these desert stones to bread. But it would have been a fleeting comfort, a comfort that lasted maybe an hour or two. Now, listen, there are going to be times in your life when God allows you to be tempted over a period of time. Remember what it says in the first verse in this chapter. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. And this is God leading him and allowing him to be tempted. And, and there will be a period of time, it may be weeks, months, or even years, where, where if you are not really focused on God, your flesh will be crying out so loud to be satisfied that the cries will be so loud they will drown out the voice of God. And, you know, at that point, that's when we need to live by faith. Live by faith, not by sight. The Bible says, resist Satan. Remain steadfast in the faith and the God of all grace will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's 1 Peter chapter 5. When Jesus' body was without food for 40 days, every molecule in his body was crying out for relief. And there's going to be times in your life where, in a season of hardship, where every molecule that's in you just wants to give in. Don't do it. Don't do it live by faith and not by sight. By faith, we know where the end of sin is. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. It leads to death. And so, um, sometimes it is only our faith that will save us from going down that path. And our minds, our feelings, our desire, our common sense really need to be put to death by our faith in the Word of God. When I was in high school, I ran cross-country and. I, I really took it seriously. And uh, I ran races anywhere from 2 to 12 miles, and I've got to tell you, the last quarter mile of any race that that's long is just so brutally hard. I mean, it's so painful that I, I remember every time I would run race after race, and, and every time I was in that last quarter mile, I'd be thinking to myself, man, this is really bad. I forgot how bad this was, you know? And, you know, there's some, there's some things that they're so painful, you just want to forget them. So you do. And, 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 and but, the, you know, uh, they are bad things that way, And the, but there's also things that are not so bad, like, you know, racing. And, and, and that's what it was like. And, and um, the body in the last quarter mile of a race of that, you know, a doctor or scientist will tell you the body is is speaking to you. It's just, you know, incredibly upset. And basically it's saying stop. And, and, and you know, there'd be, there would have been a tremendous comfort just to stop. With, with, you know, an eighth of a mile left. There would have been such a, a comfort. Uh, in that there's such a comfort that you, when you're lonely or depressed and you go and flesh out for a night, you know. But you know, what, what, what's the problem with the runner? What's going to happen if he if he stops? He's not going to win the prize. He's not going to w- uh, win the race. First Corinthians nine says this: Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? run in such a way that you may obtain it and everyone who competes for the prize exercises self-control in all things now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown therefore i run thus not with uncertainty thus i fight not as one who beats the air but i discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when i have preached to others i myself should become disqualified now that's not talking about being disqualified from your relationship with God or losing your salvation. It's just talking about being disqualified from that crown, that reward that God has for us when we get to heaven, when we, when we see him face to face. And um, you can also lose everything that God has blessed you with. Listen to me carefully. When a man or woman has given their life to Christ and, and, and walks with Him, the Bible says that, over t- that, that, that they receive everything they need from God and that over time they get much, much more. Much, much more. Now, I'm not talking about becoming a, a millionaire or living in mansions or fancy cars. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God blessing you in the way He knows you need to be blessed. And that means, just like King David, you'll have everything and much, much more. What exactly this is for you, I don't know. God knows. But I was reading the the blessing that God gave to Moses and Aaron this week. It's in the book of, of, of Numbers. Many of you have heard it. Many of some of you have heard it probably... 500 times if you grew up in a church like I did, that recited creeds, but there was really no life in the church. But listen carefully, because it speaks to the very nature of God and and what He wants for your life. I'm reading from Numbers chapter 6. It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Then it says this, and this is the part that was always left out when I was growing up. It says, So you shall put my name on the children of Israel. So he's speaking to Moses now and the priest. He's saying, After you give, you know, by giving this blessing, so you shall put my name on the children of Israel. You see, God doesn't have a name like Bob or Sue or Betsy. Bob, Bob, uh, it's not Bob. God, uh, His name is who He is. It's His nature. It's His nature. So what this verse is saying, it's saying that it is the very name of God, His nature, to bless you, to keep you, to make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you, to lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That is, that's the very name of God. That's the mark of a Christian. To to be filled with the grace of God and have His His face shine upon you and, and to be kept and blessed by God, that's the mark of a person who follows Christ. Now, why am I saying all this? To remind you that if you've given your life to Christ, God will give you everything and more. But just as the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to to strengthen Him and prepare Him for the cross, He will lead you into the wilderness to, to strengthen you, to deepen you. Don't give in. Don't give in. Resist Him. A man or woman in Christ has everything, but so often I see that in a moment of weakness he or she loses the battle, they follow the temptation, and God cannot bless that kind of life no more than you can bless your kid with money uh, you know a a large allowance if you know they're just using it to buy drugs i mean what kind of loving parent would do that and 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 sometimes god has to take away the blessing to get back our attention and sometimes he takes everything And, and i've seen this so often someone decides to to, to, to just a follow after temptation and man, they lose everything. their, their family, their friends, their possessions, their money, uh, their mind. And, and they get to the bottom of the barrel and they look around with horror. why? Why did I do that? Why did I follow that thing? I had everything. The good news is that if if we follow God, who is full of grace and mercy, and we do fall away, that we 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 worship a God of grace, and that's the whole. That's another sermon, uh, but this is another sermon. But the prodigal son had everything; he had everything, and and he tr- decided to follow his flesh and flesh out for a long season, and he lost everything, but he made a choice to go back to go back to God, and, and, and a lot, not everything, but a lot was restored, most everything was restored. He, he'd never lose that sorrow from, from, you know, the fact of failure uh, and failing his God. He probably had some lifelong issues with his older brother that he had to deal with, but so much of what the locusts had eaten what Satan had eaten, was restored to him. That's, that's the, the God of grace. But, but I think if, if you were to talk to the prodigal son, he would tell you a lot was lost permanently. But um, the God of grace will restore us. But let's move on to the second temptation. The second temptation... Verse 3, it said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread, Jesus answered, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, uh, Satan tried the same temptation on Jesus that he tried on Eve, right? He figured, well, this is how I, I, I did my first work. I'll just do the same thing, and and the thing is, he he fails miserably uh, with Jesus. And here's why I think Satan really starts getting nervous. He's not dealing with the same person. Uh, but any uh, event, uh, so Satan decides to, uh, basically, a much more profound temptation uh, and so uh, is needed to, to, to for Jesus to fall. So, um, he says in verse 5, it says that, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, "He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." So often, um, so here um, Jesus uh, is taken away from the wilderness to the t- uh, to the temple. You know, we often complain about being in the wilderness. But the fact of the matter is, temptation is much worse when we're you know, out of the wilderness and surrounded by you know, people and things. And, and so, Satan knows that, he knows his business, and he takes him out of the wilderness and into the city, into the holy city. Now it's interesting here that uh, Satan and Jesus walks, walk into the temple, they go into the temple, no one recognizes them. Why? Jesus hadn't started his ministry. Uh, and uh, the, the miracles and that, that type of thing, which drew enormous crowds, had not started. Um, Satan, uh, it's interesting, he wasn't, uh, no one uh, recognized him either. It says something about the spiritual climate uh, of, uh, of the time. But anyway, um, notice that with the first temptation, Jesus used Scripture to withstand it, then Satan says, well, you know, if he's going to use, uh, okay, Christian, you want to uh, use Scripture, so will I. Satan knows the Word of God. He's been twisting it, manipulating it, and use it to his own advantage for, for 6,000 years. And so he quotes Psalm 91, which is there in verse 6, um, which says, Satan says, he shall give his angels charge over you. And there's a couple things about that, verse. That's Psalm 91, verse 11, uh, which I want you to see. One, Satan uh, will do, does here, which he will do with you often. He He misquotes the verse, and he uses it out of context. Now, listen carefully. I will correctly quote Psalm 91. Listen carefully. This is Psalm 91, verse 11. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all thy ways. Satan left out the last part, the most important part. He, he just took it out. It was convenient for him to do it. And he took it out. And, and, and he just uh, says, Jesus, jump off the cliff after all. Get, you know, God will give you uh, his angels. But this is, it, it, that is not what the verse says. The verse says that God will give his angels to Jesus and, for that matter, his power and his angel stuff to keep us and him walking in all the ways of God. Not so that he could use his own, uh, his, uh, own power to I- exalt himself like a, you know, like a toy, like, like playing with power of God like a toy. When you are being tempted to evil, make sure the Bible verses that are going through your head say what, or mean what they say, or say what they mean. If you're being tempted to evil, for example, and, and 1 Corinthians uh, six twelve comes into your head which says all things are permissible, just remember the last part of the verse, all things are, per- are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So we learned that uh, Satan, when tempting, will misuse scriptural cut a verse right in half and, and you know, hand it to us. The next thing I want you to notice is that this temptation uh, is a temptation, and I found this very interesting as I was uh, preparing. This temptation is a temptation that Jesus gets for the rest of his ministry. And, and and again, God here is uh, preparing His Son for the cross. So many times during this miracle, uh, people would go up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, just show us a miracle. Come on, we want to see a miracle. And, and John 6, verse 30 says, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? That's what the crowd said. Matthew 12, 38. Then some uh, scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And you actually... See this over and over again, and He always refused just like He did here in Matthew 4. He always refused. This second temptation in Matthew 4 um, would be a pattern really uh, for Jesus, a temptation that He would uh, suffer literally to the end of His life. Please turn with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, Jesus is on the cross. In verse 39, it says, People who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Now remember, they're speaking to him. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Does that sound familiar? Then it goes on and says, Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Now, I tell you, every time I read that verse, verse 42, I say to myself, Man, if that was me, ugh! I would have just torched them. I would have gone right down, right there. And, and I would be going to, please God, please God, just let me go down right now and torch these people. I mean, I mean, he had, can you imagine having the power to, to do what these people are taunting you to do and not do it? But thank God, he stayed on the cross. He did so for you and for me. And now if we are in Christ, we have that power residing in us to withstand the same thing. But this, you know, this temptation may seem a little odd to you. And you may say, well, how does this really relate to me? I mean, you know, Jesus is, is standing uh, on, a, on a cliff somewhere, or uh, not on a cliff, on the, on the pinnacle of the temple, and, and uh, Satan says to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Actually, you know, we get this temptation all the time. Our pride is pricked. All the time. And, and rather than being content with who we are in Christ, we do something in our own strength just to exalt ourselves. You know, hey, Christian, if you're so tough, you know, go go hang out and mix with those guys. Or, hey, Christian, if you're so smart, go, go debate those really smart people over there. Or, you know, uh, Christian, you're such a hard worker. Go work alongside those people over there, and, you know, in our own strength, you know, we go run along and do it. And, and the interesting thing is, just as Jesus had the power to throw himself down and somehow be rescued, be captured by angels, in Christ, I mean, when we're really in Christ, there is a truth that we can be tougher, smarter, and, and a harder worker than the next guy. But when we do it just so we can comfort our wounded pride, or when we do it, just to exalt ourselves in the eyes of man, we're just being the playthings of Satan. That's what we're doing. We're just giving into temptation. We need to allow God, just God, to preserve our reputation, and we need to be content with who we are in Christ. God doesn't need us to prove that He is God by you being tougher, smarter, and working harder than everyone else. Don't give in to that temptation. So, what does Jesus say? Verse 7 Jesus said to him, It is written, you shall not tempt, or literally the word test, you shall not test or tempt the Lord your God. And what this is saying is, is that any time you do something to give your pride a little boost, to, to do something in your own strength, that you, you know, you're not doing it for God. You're just doing it to preserve your reputation, to preserve your pride. Um, you're testing God to humble you. You're, you're testing God to, to really, you know, uh, make you low. The more I grow as a Christian, the less the Lord lets me get away with trying to exalt myself in the eyes of man. I mean, he'll just go squash, see, Steve squash. You know, oh yeah, Lord, I'm sorry, you know. I'll never do it again. So first uh, Satan tempts Jesus to eat and he is rebuffed. Then Satan uh, tempts Jesus just to use his own power to just to exalt himself for no apparent reason and he is rebuffed again. What does Satan do next? Well, he ratchets up the stakes. He pulls out all the stops and he comes up with the most forceful, the most intense, the most powerful temptation any man has ever received. Let's read uh, Matthew 8 and 9. So he fails on his first two and and so then he just, he, he really... Pulls out all the sops here. In verse 8, it says, Again, the, the, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. It says, He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said, all these things will I give to you. No man had ever turned this kind of offer down. You know, Satan had been reeling men in for thousands of years with this kind of offer, or, or a piece of it. Glamour, popularity, pleasure, riches, power. And then the one that men have such a hard time with, fame. What happens here with this last temptation? You know, basi- basically what's happening is, is Satan is just throwing off his disguise and, and really coming out with what he really has been, you know, dealing with all along or, or wanting to get at all along. You see what's going on here? I mean, have you ever had someone who, you know, they wanted something from you and they come to you and like the first half hour, they're like beating around the bush. You know, and, and you're saying, no, no, and, and then finally they say, okay, you're right, I'll just come out and I'll ask you what I really want, you know. And, And it starts off with, um, with flattery. You know, Bill, you're, you're the, you're the nicest guy I ever met. And Bill's like, no, I'm not. No, you're, you're, you're the, also the most good looking guy I've ever met. No, I'm not. And you have the best personality. No, I don't. Oh, right. You're right, Bill. I don't really think any of those things, but I need $10,000. Come on, you know, let me have it. I mean, you know, that's that's the way, you know, temptation often works. It's like, you know, slowly trying to, you know, uh, chip away. and And that is really... Uh, what is going on here? Uh, the, with the first two temptations, they were just a disguise for the third one. When Satan was trying to get Jesus to, e- uh, you know, eat bread, when he was trying to get Jesus to throw himself off the temple, what he was really trying to do was get Jesus to worship him. Listen carefully. When Satan tempts you or tempts the lust of your flesh, make no mistake about it. What he really wants is for you eventually to be just worshiping him outright. This is his aim. When a person has given over to the lusts of their flesh and their lusts are completely dominated with whatever it is, drugs, sex, money, a relationship, whatever, really, they are worshipping Satan. That's what the Bible says. They may not see Satan in front of them, uh, but, but they're, 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 they're worshipping everything that Satan represents. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And Jesus really puts it more bluntly in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, he appears to be dividing everyone into two categories. The children of God and the children of of the devil. And, 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 And if you're not worshiping God, you are worshiping something opposed to God, which is everything that Satan represents. And that's why the Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. We were made to worship. We were made to worship something. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. We, we, we have to worship something. And, and you know, g- why not worship Jesus? Why not choose to worship Jesus? I mean, he, he wants nothing more than to bless you and keep you, to make his face shine upon you and, and be gracious unto you, to, to lift his countenance, just to, to bring you into his, uh, to his presence and, and, and give you peace. That's what Jesus wants to do, and and, and that's what comes about by by worshiping Him. So, here in uh, Matthew 4, Satan just comes right out and says it. Okay, Jesus, if you really want to know what I'm after, it's this, fall down and worship me. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. So he said, away with you, Satan. Some translations say, get behind me, Satan. Now, about five or six years ago, I was feeling really spiritually tough. And uh, I bought this pewter mug for one dollar. And I saved so much money, I said, why not put an engraving on it? So, I I felt so spiritually tough, I said, I'll choose this verse, Matthew 4.10. Away from me, Satan. So I put, so uh, Amy, Scott's wife Amy, was working right next to an engraving uh, place in the mall, so she took it for me, and and I didn't actually put, uh, you know, the, I know this is weird, I'm sorry, you just have to excuse me, you know, Matthew 4.10, why do you choose that? But I didn't put the actual words, I just put Matthew 4.10. So Amy gives the the pewter mug and says, you know, uh, he winds up talking with a woman and and uh, oh a Bible the the woman behind the cash register oh a Bible verse how nice what so what Bible verse is this? And Amy says, away with me Satan, and the woman was like what? <laughs> you know you know, she, sure she hurried up with the you know cash register then, but I'm sorry there's a it, weird streak in me and. Uh, but I still have that mug. And, and you know, the truth of the matter is life is a spiritual battle. You know, uh, there is a tremendous spiritual battle going on in the world. And the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We may see something that looks material in front of us, a a person, a a drink or whatever, but the Bible says, you know, our battle is not against those things. It's against, and this is the the Bible's uh, verse, not mine, it says, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a safety and rest from all of that. There is a safety and rest in what the Bible calls the everlasting arms of God, under the shelter of His wings, There is a safety and rest from it. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why not line up behind Jesus, who has already done all the work for us? What he did here in Matthew 4, he did for you and me. If you're out there on your own, trying to fight the battle of the world, you're going to lose if you've never given your life to Christ, or if you're just losing this battle because you've been straying from that marked out pasture that God has prepared for you, please come and talk with me after the service, and let's just pray about that, because there is a power. There is a power. There is a place where we we can rest. There's a power to overcome. The Bible says, greater is the power in you Greater is the power in you, says the Bible. What a glorious Savior. The, 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 the story here ends with verse 11. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, how this story ends... Lord, with you ministering to your Son, even as he ministers to us, Lord, as we resist temptation, as we resist the devil. God, I just pray that um, these things which we read here would be more than just things we think of as superstition, Lord, that just the reality of them would just seep into our hearts and our minds, Lord God, that we may line up behind Christ, that we may stay in that pasture which Your Son, our Shepherd, has marked out for us, Lord. God, I just pray for anyone in here, Lord, who just needs to be reconciled to You or needs to just find that place of pasture, Lord, that You would bring them there, Lord, God, we we thank you. We thank you for your word and for speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless. If you need prayer, please come up.